Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Retirement Puzzle Podcast, brought to you by Monash Center for Financial Studies. This podcast explores the current and critical trend in the pension sector and tries to explain how they impact us all. My name is Nga Phan, a research fellow at MCFS, and I am also one of the three co-hosts for the Retirement Puzzle podcast. In this episode, we will talk about the 100-year life. My inspirations for this podcast comes from the book 100-year life by two professors at the London Business School, Professor Andrew Skirt and Linda Gratton. I am very pleased to introduce um, Professor Scott, our speaker today. Andrew Scott is Professor of Economics at London Business School and a consulting scholar at Stanford University's Centre for Longevity and the co-author of The 100-Year Life and The New Long Life. He is a reputed scholar with multi-award-winning research, writing and teaching. He's also a board member and advisor to a range of corporates and governments. Andrew is known globally for his groundbreaking work on longevity and economics. His book with Linda Gratton, The 100-Year Life, has been published in 15 languages. It is an Amazon bestseller and it has won a number of prestigious book awards. Andrew, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Looking forward to our conversation. A Hundred Year Life is a very impressive title for the book, Andrew. And I wonder why you say that our life is now 100 years. So the starting point for the book was just recognizing that people are behaving differently at different ages. But if you look at life expectancy statistics, they show that every generation has been living longer than the previous one. And the result is that, you know, certainly in the UK, and I imagine it's very similar in Australia, um, you know, according to the government statistics, the majority of children born today will live into their 10th decade, their in their 90s. And, you know, one in two will live to be 100. So it's plausible now to have to plan for a very long time. Um, what that means is that at every age, you have more time ahead of you than past generations. So you have to plan differently. And it is ultimately about time. I think there's a lot of discussion about an aging society and being more old people. But I prefer to look at it as longevity instead of for a long future. And once you think of the things from a longevity, you realize this is not something that you deal with when you get old. It's something that affects all of you. So that's really the beginnings of the 100-year life book. And you know, the title, I, I do think it's a great title. I want to say that. Uh, because it just gets people thinking and not always positively, sometimes somewhat daunted and nervously. But how can you prepare for your future self? I do agree that a long life is a gift that the current and future generations can enjoy. Um, however, it does come with challenges that few of us are prepared for. As you wrote in the book, um, we all have to actively think about the future and begin to sketch a pathway that works for us in such a longer life. So how does the sketch look like for a person starting their career now versus that for somebody preparing to go into their retirement, Andrew? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, my starting point all this is that time is a social convention. We structure time to make it work for us. 
But also in the 20th century, as more and more people lived to sort of 70, um, you saw the creation of retirement and being a pensioner. You also saw at the other end of life, the creation of teenagers. So we created a three-stage life, education, work, retirement. And really the challenge we've got now is that if we are living in 100-year lives, 90-year lives, it can't really stretch out that three-stage life to cope. And we're seeing that in lots of different ways. But of course, the people who have the most time abroad is the younger generation, and clearly things look very different. Um, so if you start work at 20 and you retire at 80, it's a 60-year career, which is pretty uh, daunting. So we talk about a multi-stage life approaching where you're going to have several different career stages. Some of those changes will be choices. Some of them will be forced upon you. But clearly, you know, younger people have got to navigate a longer life without the security blanket of three-stage life and the retirement systems in place. And I think, you know, if you think about a younger person facing that 60-year career and living to 90 or 100, they really are going to face a lot more individual risks. And if they've got these multi-stages, then they're going to have to be much more responsible for their own career path, you know, reinvesting in skills. They need to think about their own finances. So it's a very, very different world, I think, for a younger generation. So you, you talk, for instance, about people currently about to retire. And I think what's interesting about the sort of phrase retirement is it's really shifting its meaning already. So the notion of retirement is an age where everyone at the same age comes to a hard stop work and then they stop. It's already gone. <clears throat> you can see more and more people, for instance, working. And in all the high-income countries, um, people working after 65 has been rising. In the US, it's doubled the last 10 years and will double the next 10 years. And you're seeing this across the world. And you know, to the extent to which people will say, oh, what are you going to do after retirement? And often it's carrying on working. It may be full-time, it may be part-time, it may be gig economy. But even older people coming up to retirement, they're going to behave differently from the past because they have a lot more time in that retirement. And, I, you know, obviously that's leading to intergenerational challenges. But the, for me, the heart of the problem is our existing three-stage life cannot be stretched out to 90 or 100 years. I don't think there's anything even really early on in your education that could stand that much test of time. You will need to get re-educated, significantly re-skilled, up-skilled, at different points in your career. So, you know, we need to refashion a new career path. And obviously this is a, talking about retirement podcast, but I think you then have to realize that retirement and being a pensioner was defined by the three-stage life. And if we're moving away from the three-stage life, then the whole concept of retirement changes. Yes, I agree with you that the longer life expectancy comes with more challenges in working and planning for uh, a longer and healthier life. Um, young people having a 60-year career now face more employment risk and they need to reskills and upskill themselves. And for older people, many have to work longer. Apart from the challenges to our working life, what are the challenges of a multi-staged life in terms of work-life balance, and in terms of investing for retirement? Now, we talked about work and how you're going to see lots of different shifts and career changes. 
there's an obvious focus on skills and skill changing there. But I think also part of that is about your identity. You're going to go through more changes in identity. Um, so there's a lot to manage other than just skills and finances. There's what we call but your intangible assets and I think identity uh, and tying it, to, not tying it specifically to a job is a big thing. Um, around leisure, I think this is a huge one because ultimately, if you think about what's happened with a three-stage life, uh, because retirement age has only just started to rise, most of the gains in life expectancy have led to a longer retirement. In other words, they've led to more leisure after. And I think what we're seeing now is as state pension age increases, as more people work after the state pension age, what we're going to see is more leisure happening before it. So as we're lengthening our careers, you're going to spend, get more leisure before retirement rather than after retirement. You might use that time to recharge your skills, your fitness, your relationships, your sense of purpose. Um, and I think that then raises a shift in what we mean by leisure. If life is longer, you've got to be kinder to your future self, which means some of your leisure is an investment in your future self, and that may be going to the gym, it may be working on relationships, people you haven't seen for a long while, or it could be you know, learning how to code in Python or whatever skills you need. And a three-stage life work is what you do when you turn up and you get paid. But if you are owning your career, you can have many different stages, then you'll be using your leisure time to prepare for the next stage. And then, you know, investment, of course, has to change. If you've got more future, you will have to save more or at least have more funds under management. Um, but I, I think it's much more than that because, as I've suggested, you've got to invest in a lot of things other than just your finances, your health in particular, but also relationships and skills. Um, but also just the pattern of investment will need to change. And in particular, you know, I think you've got a, a major issue around uh, longevity risk. Um, the 20th century saw big growth in the life insurance industry because the midlife years were very high mortality. And you wanted to make sure that if you died prematurely, your family would be taken care of. So we saw a massive growth in the life insurance sector. But as we're living longer, um, there's a new risk around, which is you will outlive your finances, you'll outlive your skills, you'll outlive your relationships, uh, outlive your health. So dealing with that longevity risk, I think, is going to be one of the key things. I really like your broad definition of longevity risk in that this is not just about outliving our finance, um, but also outliving our skills, relationships and health. It is an interesting observation that the pension and insurance sector now should not just focus on the risk of dying young, but also the risk of people outliving their wealth and their health. Exactly. And, you know, I think this is, you know, we talked about individuals taking on more and more risk, which I think is a challenge society needs to find ways of dealing with. But this, this longer life does create this really big risk. And, you know, we went to talk earlier about the title, 100-year life, gift or curse, and how, you know, people are either excited or somewhat daunted and fearful and that's ultimately the longevity risk because, you know, people want a long life to be a good life. You know, that's this new importance of aging well. And 
course, aging well has many different connotations. Part of it is about health. It's also just about you know, being happy and purposeful. You mentioned that investment behavior and pattern should also change. Could you please elaborate on that? Do you mean financial investment? Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, as I say, um, if we're living longer, we need to finance a lot. And assuming people aren't prepared to accept a, a lower level of consumption. Um, but of course, it does make then a major difference to your investment. First of all, if you're working for long, you've got longer periods. So I guess that means you take on more risk. Uh, so you'll find older investors should be still prepared to take risk rather than do risk. Um, secondly, I think you're going to find over these longer lives just great deal more diversity. Um, in a three-stage life, when everyone's retiring at the same age, financial life is relatively straight. But in a multi-stage life, you can do that in so many different ways. You, know, you can start earning your money early or you can start earning your money late. Um, you could be retiring at 80 or you could be retiring at 60. So you just see just a great deal more diversity in how people are structuring their life. And then, of course, that's overlaid on just the fact that people do age very diversely. Um, and then... You know, you're obviously going to have to have more savings for before retirement if you're going to go through periods of transition and change where your income may be zero or not reduced as you transit between jobs. Uh, but then, as I say, it's around longevity risk and a better form of investment in your 50s may well be to invest in skills you can carry on working than it is to put money in the market. Um, and you know, thinking of that, broader portfolio. Yes, I agree with that. And adding to the challenges of a longer life is the uncertainty about how future pension system will look like. You know, state pensions under pay-as-you-go model or an unfunded system become unsustainable when people live longer and the birth rate is lower. And pay-as-you-go system state pensions are also disappearing in many parts of the world. And even in countries with a funded model, the system is evolving from a defined benefit model to more of a defined contribution system. So I think people will need to rely more on their private savings, both within or outside the pension system. So in your view, what would an ideal retirement income system look like? We've obviously got a retirement income system at the moment, which doesn't look very sustainable built around a three-stage life. And there are, I think, a number of shocks to that. The first is a, a sort of a baby boomer bulge, the fact that not all generations are the same size. And longevity is also a challenge because if we don't raise retirement age in line with life expectancy, uh, then the system becomes uh, unsustainable. And then to the extent to which you have a funded scheme, very low interest rates. So. You know, we've got an existing retirement system that is struggling to deal with longevity and an aging society. And in general, what I think is happening is driven by our public finances. We're worried about financial stability and we're bringing about changes to the parameters of the three stages. So, you know, so let's raise the contribution rate, let's shift the state pension age back, and uh, let's make uh, pensions less generous. 
But really, we need to start thinking about a multi-stage life. But we're clearly to think about doing some, some pension reform. Um, I actually quite like pay-as-you-go systems. I think they're quite smart and efficient. And they offer some intergenerational risk smoothing. But they are very vulnerable. Um, I think any retirement insurance system, when you've got longevity risk, has to focus on guaranteeing some income. And you know, there's obviously two tools for that. One is the state pension, um, which guarantees some form of income, and deferred income annuities. I would say that you know, we also need to take a step back and think about these risks. And so, you know, really, we need to think about how we pull risks and longevity risk part of that. Uh, I think intergenerational risks so are big issues here. And then, you know, the other thing I think will be really important in the retirement income systems of the future is to recognize that now living to age where health is really important. And how do we try and combine health management and wealth management? Well, that is a very interesting comment there that a good retirement income system should address both wealth needs and health needs of the individual. So we will see more integration of wealth and health products in the financial sector. So I also want to pick up on another point you just mentioned about the diversity in the way people work and retire now. Some may choose to retire early, some late, some will have longer transition into retirement. Do you see the diversity and the heterogeneity of aging as an opportunity or a challenge for the pension industry? I mean, if you think about the role of the financial sector, for me, you know, it's got sort of two key components. One is spreading money across different moments in time, and the other is spreading money across different states of nature, dealing with risk. Yes. And of course, longevity means we have more time, so there's a greater need to spread money across time. And the risk, the longevity risk and the diversity in how we age creates enormous new opportunities to, to do that. It's, it's obviously going to be a problem for the pension industry. I mean, the good news is there's more old people, more people under plan for a longer future. So that's the, the good news. But I do think the industry will need to be smart to make sure that it adapts to the needs. Um, and I think yeah, that's what's hard for individuals at the moment, because if you are in your early 60s, how do I behave? Because that's not something that previous generations had to face. So there's a lot of uncertainty, but of course that's also the excitement because you've got options available past generations may not have had. Um, and you know, as those social behaviours become more embedded, become more the norms we follow, it'll be easier to establish products. Um, I think. You know, what you're going to see is a bunch of issues. I mentioned earlier these very low rates of return. That's obviously a major challenge for uh, financial advisors in the asset management industry because it's going to reduce fees. So there's going to be real pressure on costs, which is going to lead then to, you know, robo-advisors and uh, cheaper forms of providing advice, all of which I'm sure have a role to play. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of different choices being made you go to the low-cost standard marketplace offering basic products, or do you try and look at more value-added products where, for instance, you might be dealing with longevity risk tying in with health? 
um, where there's greater scope to offer value-added advice. Of course, we also know from, from many markets that it's new entrants who tend to bring the most innovative new ideas and technologies. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So have you seen good examples somewhere in markets where there's more of an aging populations maybe? Have you seen evidence of this pressure for innovation? Everywhere tends to lag behind reality. Um, uh, individuals push for change and firms then have to pick up on it. So, you know, I still think well, there's plenty to go. Um, but, you know, Australia seems pretty far advanced. I mean, you, you start, I know supers have got all their challenges and problems, but that's a, an interesting example of how to deal um, with the flexibility of finances. Um, And, you know, if I look at the numbers, we're still talking about pretty low levels, but deferred income annuities tend to be picking up in the US and I think also in Australia as well. Um, and then I think, you know, the other challenge, of course, with um, finances over a long life is just keeping track of them. So I'm starting to see in, that, in the fintech space, more firms trying to offer cheap solutions to tracking your money. I would still say that they're, They're sort of looking at minor shifts in existing products rather than really reorientating and starting out. Let me think about longevity. They're more about how do I modify my existing pension products and to deal with more old people. So, Andrew, my next question will be the one that I borrow from your book. We have been talking about the society, but I'm interested in what you are doing now to prepare for a comfortable life in retirement and manage the longevity risk. This is about you. So how can you be sure that the decisions you are making now will stand up to the scrutiny of your future self? Well, I obviously can't. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm 56. Um, and, you know, I think I've reached the point to recognize that uh, I will always make mistakes in life. And even if I'm acting on what I think is best for my future, it may not be. Um, so that's a, a, a salutary uh, piece of uh, self-advice I give myself. But, you know, I, I think there are certain things you can think of. In the, in the book, we sort of say you've got more future ahead of you, so it's more important you make friends with your future self. And, you know, it, it's an interesting pathway. I run an organization called the Longevity Forum, and I was interviewing a philosophy yesterday, Robert Roden-Smith, And we were talking about the philosophy of longevity. And of course, as you get older, you've got more past. So you can look back more. Uh, of course, the whole point about longevity is that you know, whether you're 56 or 80 or 20, you've got more future than past generations. And so you know, you, you've just got to think more about your future self. And what do you give your future self? Options. So the question is, well, what are those options? And it's not too difficult to work out what health So I do um, try and spend, I try and go to the gym every day. I've taken up boxing. Um, finances, of course, has to be part of it. Um, money is not everything, but it does give you more options. Um, so uh, I've certainly taken a look at my savings and trying to ensure that I've got a better financial future. Uh, and then, of course, just making sure, this I find has been very hard in lockdown, that for me, you know, I, I kind of need stimulation and variety to make sure I keep thinking and adapting and changing. Um, so just 
try to keep doing things that are slightly out of my comfort zone that I find of interest. I think for me, what's interesting as I get older is that um, I won't say it gets easier to be more forward-looking. I think you know, as you get older, you've got more past selves to look at. And so you can see how those past selves say, oh, I wish I'd done that in my 20s, because uh, that would have made me, had given me some other option in my 40s. And I don't mean living a life full of regret, but by having more past selves, you can then see the value of giving something to your future self. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is this mindfulness about my future self that I think is important. You're sort of balancing, I think, three things. One is a longer past. Um, Secondly, it's really important to live in the now. Um, you, know, you can't always be planning for your future. But as you live longer, you do have more future. So again, that, that balance between the past, the now, and the future is key. And for me, the whole point of the 100-year life is you've got to worry a bit more about balance between the now and the future. Wow, so one of the key takeaways there for me is that we need to balance between the past, the now, and the future. Um, it is true that the longer the past the more reflection we can have. And perhaps the reflection will help us make better decisions going forward. And also past performance is not an indicator of future performance, as every <laughs> investor knows. <laughs> yeah, it's such a disclaimer. <laughs> so what about your future plan? Could you please share with us if you're planning to do further work or research in longevity, um, especially the social and economic aspects of aging and longevity? Yeah, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I think this is a fantastic topic. So uh, who knows? But my current plan is to, um, get the rest of my research career to focus on this topic because I think it's barely been scratched. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the 100 Year Life has been a huge success. And it's got me out and about meeting all sorts of different people, uh, and made me aware that there is a need to develop a longevity agenda, uh, both for individuals, companies, financial firms and governments. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a number of ways. Uh, I'm scratching around thinking about the next book I'm working on this topic. Um, I think it's really important, you know, I'm an economist and I used to work on monetary and fiscal policy and there I would regularly talk to central bankers and ministries of finance and trying to influence the policy world. Um, I, they're not terribly engaged in this issue of longevity. So I'm trying to work on the economics which is really about theoretically and empirically identifying how longer, healthier lives can actually be an economic benefit. As I say, for me, the key insight is for the first time ever in human history, children born today can expect to live a long, long life. And so we have a new priority, which is to age well, and that requires rethinking everything. But making sure those longer years are healthy and productive has to be the key. So... I'm trying to articulate the case and find the mechanisms so that we can make the most of what is a tremendous achievement. This phenomenal increase in life expectancy that we've managed is just wonderful. And for me, I talk about a three-dimensional longevity, longer lives, healthy longer lives, and productive lives uh, is what I'm about. So yeah, really interesting. Well, Andrew, it has been a great pleasure talking to you today. Um, thank you very much for sharing with us how we should all prepare for longer and healthier lives with less financial stress. Um, and about your, your book, it is a really good book. It has changed my thinking about work and life. 
Thank you very much for that insightful book. Um, and I hope to hear more about your meaningful work in the future. Really kind of you. I'm touched by what you said about the book. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Puzzle from Monash Centre for Financial Studies. If you have enjoyed it, please tell your colleagues and friends about us. You can subscribe to our show anywhere you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a review. If you want to collaborate with us on retirement-related issues, please get in touch at mcfsinfo at monash.edu. Thank you.